Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. I'm Tom Murch Jr., as always, joined by Mike Murphy. Um, Mike, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm wondering why Anthony Bavillier and Varlamov are just ranger destroyers. But other than that, I'm doing all right. I don't I don't know. I, I don't like the bugs coming back. I don't mind the sun. Don't like the bugs. Bugs can really just go fuck off. And uh, humidity is starting to come back. Not a fan of that either. But it's kind of fun because people are getting vaccinated. And, you know, I had like an outdoor dining experience at a restaurant recently. And I was like, oh, wow. We can do some of these things again if we're smart and safe. And uh, yeah, I don't know. But since our last show, I think I didn't have my second shot last time we talked. And now I do. So it's a fun time, Tom. It's a strange time. And in Rangers Land, of course... The Rangers have dropped two games to the Islanders and essentially two games they had to win to keep their like very diminishing hopes of being up in the playoffs alive. And now it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. They're not statistically eliminated. The Bruins can still technically blow up and fall apart. But uh, here we are with the Rangers on the outside looking in and a lot of fans, you know, expressing disinterest. But None of this is surprising to me, um, especially with this, you know, this kind of banged up roster now as they kind of limp towards the finish line. But how are you doing, Tom? What are your what are your quick thoughts right now in the state of Rangers world? I'm doing OK. Um, like like you said, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting time in, in Ranger land. Um, it's it's weird to me because I feel that there was all of this optimism surrounding the team and how they were playing down the stretch. And it was not too dissimilar to what we saw last season. And the thing is, we the team is more or less who we thought they were. And it's not too dissimilar um, to what we saw in the play-in last year, where the Rangers just get destroyed by a clearly better, clearly um, better coach team in Carolina. And that's what happened against the Islanders. Better team, um, probably the best or second best coach in the NHL, depending on, on how you feel about Barry Trotz. And you look at the last few games that the Rangers have played against the Islanders, you have the back-to-back shutouts. And then the game before that, um, you had, I think it was a 6-1 loss. So it's it's weird to me because, like, I, I come at this from um, the perspective of a baseball fan. Um, and like we said numerous times this year, this year was going to be different. It was going to be that baseball-type scheduling where if a team – has your number, they know your weaknesses, they can exploit it. And that's what's happened. And I I forget who it was. Um, It might have been Arthur Staple. It might have been Peter Boddy. He he tweeted something to the effect of, um, I think there's only been five games this season in which Artemi Panarin has been held without a shot on goal. And four of those five games have come against the Islanders. So... um, you have that, and obviously you have some of um, Quinn's assessment on these games and some of the line combinations. Um, as you mentioned, we're recording this before uh, the Rangers um, take on a Washington Capitals team that um, I believe, if if I read it correctly, won't have Carlson, won't have Ovechkin, won't have Oshie, and they may not even have a full 18 skaters tonight because they're um, so close with the salary cap. It's not like they can move someone off the taxi squad, so it should be interesting. But um, to wrap this up so I, I can let you talk again, um, I think that we've come back down to earth and we're now having some of these things that were kind of always there bubbling underneath the surface. They're emerging um, and it, it's things we're, we're going to talk about, um, you know, the state of the team, how close they are to contending, what's holding them back and how this summer is coming up where it's supposed to be very transformational in nature. And could that include 
uh, a head coaching change. Yeah, it's it's a topic we kind of tiptoe around a lot. Um, you know, I've I've kind of gone on record a few times, especially over the past year and a half, of being someone who's like, I you know, I understand not wanting to rush to put Quinn on the chopping block, um, but I think after this year, you really have to ask that question seriously. You know, Larry Brooks just wrote an article about there being a disconnect between you know Quinn and specifically the skilled like you know the skilled veteran guys you know specifically Panarin, Zibanejad, um, and Ryan Strom were kind of singled out which was interesting to me because I think in many ways you can kind of lump Chris Kreider in with that group um, and that disconnect is like that's kind of a kind of a big deal um, <laughs> in terms of like the culture of the team and the execution I think it's not it's not lost on anybody how fun the Rangers were to watch when Quinn wasn't behind the bench. And, um, you know, that kind of that quantity, you know, that quality over quantity thing, that high risk, high reward. And then you have a goalie who can kind of cover up. That is in many ways has been a part of the Rangers identity like that, you know, it's of the Lundqvist era and, you know, when they looked good um, and when they're a successful team and, you know, it feels like, that's not the style of play David Quinn wants them to play. Um, and the defense has improved this year, just in terms of, you know, expected goals against the actual goals against this year, which is not to be overlooked, but I think there's a lot of, you like, you need to dress that statement with context, right, Tom? Like, think about the addition by subtraction from last year's defense. Think about the influence of Jacques Martin. Think about... Um, you know, what Jack Johnson could have been on this blue line, and then he was injured. And, you know, there's still a lot of warts with this this group of defenders. And honestly, like, the defense we've seen lately is so fun to me just because you're like, oh, wow, I, you know, I don't really care if, you know, Zach Jones looks like he's having a rough game. He's a baby. And I don't really care if Tarmo Rayonainen has a, a turnover because he's a baby. Um, but, like, when you watch, like, you know, a costly turnover on the blue line by Brennan Smith um, that resulted in that Barzell breakaway goal. You're just like, oh, yeah, OK. Um, it's it's really, really interesting to look at this from the perspective of what has changed over the past couple of years and specifically from last season to this season, because you want you're looking for those indicators that these players are buying in. Right. And I think the big thing is the kids seem to be developing a better 200 foot game which is a big deal and you want to see that development in these young kids but i think for the most part the david quinn tenure has been a little underwhelming do you think that's fair tom i think it's fair and like i i think we've been somewhat consistent in and how we've tried to evaluate david quinn trying not to be overly reactionary and, and looking at process and execution and philosophy and, and things of that nature and when i look at quinn i look at a guy who there was a reason he was hired they obviously saw something that they liked and you know they talked about it more so when he was hired and and i, I remember you know um the interesting thing about it was you had actually you know Jim Dolan talking about it and you really don't hear from, you know, the Rangers owner all too often. Um, and he was adamant about, you know, this is a guy who had success in college, can teach, can develop, can mentor kids, um, bring them along. And that's what they're trying to do with this rebuild. And I think that if you're the Rangers, you can say, we had our letter we had our moves out. We had an idea of what we wanted to do and how long it was going to take um, and, and saying, here are the milestones that we have in mind. Here's when we think we're going to contend. Here's when we want to change things up a little bit and, and move from that, you know, teaching, mentoring to, OK, now it's about opportunity. It's about winning. It's about making the playoffs. It's about winning around um, th things like that. And I think the Rangers thought this was going to be longer. And I think that they might not have expected to progress 
as much as they have in, in the time frame that they have. And obviously part of that's they signed Panarin and he's an all world player, has an MVP level type season. Um, you obviously have great year from Zibanejad last year, um, slow start this year, but again, you know, good production, Ryan Strom. You can go all down the list and, and Adam Fox is a grand slam. Yeah. Right. But, and, and this is like where it gets tricky because like you, you bring things up and, and, you know, people will either defend Quinn or will, um, you know, try and, it's a slippery slope because, you know, people will say like, well, you know, look, look at Buchnevich, right. Or, you know, look at, you know, um, you know, Keandre Miller or, or whatever, like, look how you, you, there are, are players who have, um, you know, been on, on the team and you can see some, some growth in the, in their game. Um, and you don't want to deny that there has been growth, but like, I think at times, like in the case of Buchnevich, especially, um, he, he had the talent. It was mostly about confidence and it was about opportunity. And you can say that, you know, Quinn, you know, gave him those things. Um, and you could say that, you know, Buchnevich himself giving himself an opportunity by asking Quinn, you know, hey, can I kill penalties? And, you know, good on Quinn for saying, sure, we'll try it out. And, and that's been one of the underrated things um, of this season. Where it gets dicey is you look at the Rangers and their prospects, primarily Kako and Lafreniere. Um, and obviously Kako has been a lot better this year than he was last year. Um, but like with Lafreniere, like his ice time is, is really down. Like it's, it's something that when you look at some of the top, you know, young players in the league, they're all averaging a lot more minutes. And you kind of wonder, well, why did they slow walk it so much? Like, why did they not give this number one overall pick a shot from, from the get go to, to show what he can do? Like we've seen recently the success he's had with Buchnevich um, and Zibanejad. And, you know, we saw that a little bit more this season. And then obviously things changed up. You know, the long, long story short with all of this is the Rangers ultimately need to ask themselves like, okay, how do we feel we're trending? Are we moving at a pace positively that we think next year we're going to be able to make that jump? Um, you know, they can be moving in the right direction, but not moving at the level that they, they feel they should be making those strides that they feel they should be making by now. And that would be a reason to fire a coach because ultimately you're going to have your best selection of coaches um, during an off season because teams obviously make decisions. You don't want it to be a situation where, um, and I, I look at like what the um, the Flyers did um, going back, or or I think it was the Predators rather with um, Peter Laviolette, where they brought him back, and then it was only like a couple games in, and he gets fired. Um, and then it's a situation where it's like, okay, someone has just been let go and now you have to find a replacement. So if the Rangers are going to make a move, you don't want them to be going to a secondary tertiary list of candidates because everyone else has been hired. So I, the Brooks story doesn't surprise me. Like we've seen this type of, um, I don't want to say like propaganda, but like this, you know, uh, machinations before of, of floating things out there and seeing what the reaction is. But I definitely think that as much good as Quinn has done, there are still things that you ask yourself and say, is he the best fit for what the team is at this point? is he the best fit for what they're looking to be next year? And um, I would say no, because you look at how they've played in these, you know, quote unquote playoff games and the team has not shown up and it happens once like, okay. Um, happens twice. Okay. Happens multiple times. It's not what you want to see. And obviously the players aren't blameless in this, but you take, what Brooks is saying, they're being this disconnect stylistically. And um, at the end of the day, 
He's a college coach whose career has been dealing with, you know, teenage athletes who are looking to, you know, make the most of, of their career. When you have guys that are being paid millions and millions of dollars, you know, they will start to tune you out at some point and they'll just say, you know what, I got to this level by doing a certain thing. I'm getting paid to do a certain thing. Um, I'm going to do what I think is best. And I'm not saying that's happened, but it, it certainly does make you think. I think so. And I think it's I think one of the hardest things to do as people who write about the game and analyze the game, um, especially folks like you and I who don't have access to the locker room and the players directly, uh, because that's the way the New York Rangers do business with new media, um, is evaluating coaches and the impact that they have. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Shane and I were passionate about getting uh, behind the benches rolling is this there's all this like we have all these ways of evaluating and analyzing players right you know when we have new tools and new metrics and all these things that develop over time you know like 10 years ago how many people were talking about Corsi and you know just a couple of years ago how many people were talking about expected goals and you know the article that Brooks wrote today you know it, he dropped expected goals in there and it's like oh wow look you know these things are becoming commonplace. But in terms of evaluating coaches, you're dealing with so many intangibles, right, Tom? It's like uh, you're trying to capture like what, how do you quantify or how do you measure whether or not a coach is effective? It all comes down to wins, losses, and points and whether or not you make the playoffs. But there are, you can look deeper than that. And like the way a team is coached, the decisions that are made, like optimizing your lineup, line chemistry, all these things. And I think when you look into that broader sense, like you look at some of these stats, like, oh, wow, the Rangers are significantly better in like expected goals for percentage, you know, at five on five scoring venue adjusted than they were last season when they were like a bottom five team, bottom six team in the league. This year, they're further well up, you know, the rankings more towards the middle of the pack. And like you can say, hey, that's progress. That's pretty great. But you also think of all the instances there are like, you know, why Lafreniere has a historically low time on ice for a first overall pick. And you can quickly poo-poo that and say, well, they have Panarin and Kreider on the left wing. So it's just a tough break for Alexi Lafreniere. But then you say like, all right, well, why can't you move someone to the right wing? Or why can't you find a way to get this kid more ice time, power play or whatever the hell? And those are the sort of things a coach should really be doing, right? And there's a lot of, there's been a lot of interesting things under Quinn's tenure. Like we can point to things like, oh, look, I think Pavel Buchnevich has become a significantly better player under David Quinn. And in many ways, I think he's the strongest example of a guy you can point to and say, this guy seems to have kind of flourished and balanced out his game as like a true 200 foot player under Quinn. And I think Quinn deserves credit for that. But I also think Quinn deserves some skepticism for the decisions that have been made regarding like Libor Hayek and Brett Howden um, and the way that he's really managed a lot of the ice time of these younger guys. And you look at like the organization making it, it's something I always kind of circle back to is the Julian Gauthier trade where the Rangers traded from. You know, they have a surplus, essentially, of young defensive prospects. And even after trading Joey Keane, it's not like the Rangers are missing Joey Keane in the pipeline right now. But the idea here was to get potentially an NHL winger in Julian Gauthier. And to this day, I do not think Julian Gauthier has gotten a chance to prove that he's an NHL winger. Um, I don't know why that's the case, but it just seems to be something of a, like, a, something of an over-reliance on what's proven to work or at least proven to be passable with Quinn, especially with these veteran players and, you know, the way he's assigned, you know, where the blame goes. And that occurred to me big time. It was, you know, some red flags with how he treated Kevin Shattenkirk was a big thing to me. And looking, looking at what we've seen now, um, you know, for the past year and a half or so, like it's a really interesting way that you can look on like a case by case basis of how he's handled things. And it's interesting that the dialogue now is about that disconnect between these, these more established, like, you know, star players or skilled players, the veterans who 
tend to end up in the box score. But then you also see these examples of like, is he doing the right thing for these young players? He knows more about coaching kids and developing kids than I do. I want to make that abundantly clear. But it's really strange when you just you don't feel like kids are getting a fair shake. And this whole process under Quinn is about getting these kids to get a fair shake. So that's been the overwhelming thing for me is it's really hard to analyze coaches. Really, really hard. And I think we only best understand what a coach really brought to the table after they leave. Like, I think I understood what Elaine Vigneault brought to the Rangers much better after he left the Rangers. Does that make sense? Like, it's the the absence of that coach makes you more aware of their impact they had. Yeah, it makes 100% sense. Um, and you touched on something that I want to go into a little bit more, um, but I think now is a perfect spot for uh, an ad break. And just like that, we're back from the break. Um, you mentioning Julian Gauthier and you mentioning lines, um, you know, sort of brought up this um, thing I tweeted out, um, you know, prior to the first Islander game. Um, and I refreshed it, you know, to include um, the second Islander game. So um, I basically looked at the Rangers stretch run sort of starting, um, you know, uh, in, in March, you know, March 21st, um, you know, including, a you know, they had a, you know, win against the Capitals. Um, and basically from that point on, um, cause like I know Panarin returned earlier, so, you know, that obviously played a role, but so including from when that started to now the Rangers are 18th in expected goals for percentage. They're 20th in Corsi four percentage and they're seventh in five on five save percentage. So basically the Rangers during this run, um, in, you know, in which they, they, you know, to, to their credit, um, let's see, I'm just toggling it in points. So they, they picked up 27 points, which was 11th best in the league. So, they were able to keep themselves alive in the standings, but it was in an unsustainable way. Um, I know Rob Luker has been beating this drum a lot and he he's posted um, a lot of charts. Um, and the problem is there was just this unwillingness to make changes to the lineup um, unless there was an injury, unless there was um, you know, like a leave of absence and the KZB line was super stale for a long time, but yet um, they just kept it together and they decided, hmm, let's break up the uh, the Strom, Panarin, and Kako line, which was working. And then, you know, Kako goes down to the third line. Um, it took for um, Kreider to be hurt. It took for Brett Howden to, uh, you know, break a bone. Um, for Gautier to get into the lineup, um, you know, even, but, you know, before, uh, Howden was hurt, um, you know, Di Giuseppe got the nod beforehand. So that was kind of weird. Um, and like we see, you know, Panarin doesn't practice, but he's going to play, but in his place, um, they have Colin Blackwell on the power play, you know, instead of, uh, Kako or Lafreniere or Kravtsov. I love Colin Blackwell. Uh, I don't love him more than common sense. <laughs> like I don't, I, I know he's so fun and he's like, wow, this guy deserves, you know, they should buy him a car or something, or maybe a golf cart at the end of the year for, for what he's been able to do. But Jesus Christ, why the hell is he on the power play? Right. Yeah. And this is not to like rag on Colin Blackwell because obviously he's played very well. Um, but 
it's literally just a situation of you have this, you know, rigidity and unflexibility when it comes to moving people up and moving down. And like, again, like we go back to the whole, um, you know, when, when Kravtsov joined the team and Quinn's like, you know, he's got a skill set. We're not going to play him on the fourth line. And that's all that he really did. Played him on the fourth line. Um, you know, he gets moved up and like you can see, okay, this is a guy who has a skill set and he has people who know what to do. And, um, you know, it's it's not like he's picked up points, but like the underlying numbers, you know, by and large are, are pretty decent. You know, small sample size, you know, warning, um, you know, attached to that. But like even the defense, um, you know, Adam Fox really earning the uh, the extra effort award um, by getting saddled with Lieber Hayek for some reason, um, you know. Instead of saying, hmm, let's try the new kid, you know, Zach Jones or, you know, Tarmo or whatever, you know, someone who um, is a decent skater and can sort of, um, you know, be, I don't want to say sheltered by Fox, but um, again, like we've talked about how they view Hayek and how they view Howden and it goes back to the McDonough trade and, you know, sunk costs and all, all of that nonsense. But um, if anything, to, to sort of sum it up that the Rangers were riding, like, stop me if you heard this one before they rode hot goaltending and, you know, other world, we goaltending covering up a lot of other sins. Um, and then when some things dry up, it's like, oh, what's wrong with this team? Um, you know, not like we've ever seen that before. And, you know, we're to the point where we'd want to learn from it. That's just, you know, a brand new thing that how could a, a, an organization ever deal with that? Yeah, it, it, it's so funny how a lot of these problems just seem to be like we're stuck on repeat. But I, I look at like I'm trying to look at Quinn's like full body of work here and I think, like, are the Rangers trending in the right direction? I think so. But the question you raised or posed earlier was, like, are they where they want to be? Are they developing the right way? And all these other things. And I think you you really have to say probably not. Like, overall, big picture, there are enough little red flags where you have to say, ah, eh, maybe this isn't the best fit. And honestly, that's okay. I think the problem would be to, to stick with Quinn uh, after, like, acknowledging that these things have not been going like in the right direction. I don't know what the front office thinks of some of these personnel decisions. Um, it is definitely interesting to me. Um, you know, you look at like specifically just like look at ice time between Alexi Lafreniere and uh, Colin Blackwell, just in like in basic all situations, ice time, Alexi Lafreniere has gotten on average four seconds more of ice time than Colin Blackwell. Um, and Blackwell getting 30 more seconds of ice time than Philip Heedle. And, you know, Kravstov in 16 games, 11 and a half minutes. Like you said, Tom, we're not going to play him as a fourth liner. And those are the minutes he's getting. And then, of course, Julian Gauthier, 28 games in the lineup, averaging less than 10 minutes a game. And I don't know what you want from guys. Um, like, what impact do you expect young players to make when they're not really getting a lot of shifts and, you know, you think about development and how you need to be on the ice and all these things. And you get to see these little glimpses of the kids moving up to the big line and, you know, playing with your Panarins and your Zibanejads. And it's like, wow, look, they look good. Um, and they'll pick up points too. How the, how the hell do you like that? Uh, like none of the, it's not rocket science, but it is. I don't think it's easy to, find a way to tap into what makes what makes a player develop and work. But like, you don't need to be a rocket science to understand that Colin Blackwell is a 19.7 shooting percentage. And that the impact he's had, while it's fun, is not as important as developing the young players on the team. Like, it's, it's a really weird thing to me, Tom, that in Lafreniere's first NHL season, he's going to probably finish without a power play point. Like, think about that. That's kind of nuts, right? Like, what does that say about the opportunity he's had here as a first overall pick? I'd actually be really curious to know who, who else that's been true of as, as a first overall pick in their first year. You know, like, 
that's just it's hard for me to swallow that one <laughs> just because you think about ice time and opportunity and like obviously this is just such like a you know a specific example but i think it kind of helps to tell the story of what goes on in terms of player like deployment and who you put out on the ice like Heedle, no power play points this year lafreniere no power play points this year um that that doesn't happen because they're bad. It happens because they don't have the opportunity. It just it makes Mike sad, Tom. It makes me a sad boy. And there's absolutely no reason for that to be the case, um, because again, the whole point is that the Rangers' odds of making the playoffs were always long. Like even if you yeah, consider getting into the year, yeah. Well, yeah, and even if you figure, say they split the Islander games, so, you know, they even if they split or sell, even they win both. Um, the the fact was of how the schedules were going down the stretch for Boston and the games in hand, and how they've played since uh, acquiring Taylor Hall at the trade deadline. Um, you know, that made catching them uh, a stretch, but like. The, the Rangers, or rather David Quinn, could have lucked into a lot by just saying, you know what, we're going to try Heedle here. We're going to try Lafreniere here. Um, it may not work. Uh, it may be bad for a little bit, but, you know, who really cares? Um, we're, we're in a rebuild. Um, you know, we're in the third year of, of this process, and um, it's about building for the future, and it's setting the 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 building blocks in place and, and getting experience and becoming more accustomed to certain situations, whether it's, you know, you're, you're down a goal with, with, you know, four minutes left in the game and you have a key power play situation, or um, it's a tie game and you're defending a lead or, or, you know, you can pick your situation and it's by just giving kids, you know, the opportunity. And again, it's also like, you know, people will say like, oh, would an extra minute here, would extra, you know, matter. It's the situation of, okay, um, you figure because they don't get power play time and uh, how some of how the games have gone, you've had stretches where guys are just sitting on the bench, um, you know, for minutes on end. And then like you throw them back onto the ice, right? And, um, as a young player, like that level of inactivity, like, like can be hard. Like, you know, we've seen it times with, with goalies who have said, you know, was it hard to like sort of keep your head in the game because you weren't facing any shots? And it's like, yeah, it's, you know, I'm just sort of like on an Island in, in, in my own end. Um, and it, it's just this concept of whether or not, you know, they, they sort of admitted it and they sort of didn't, they were, you know, classic, you know, double speak. Um, you know, it's, it's about, you know, playing meaningful games and, you know, you can learn things by being in a playoff race. Um, you know, even though you could have accomplished it by having the kids play in these meaningful games, because like, like that's the thing also, like how, how is it meaningful games if the kids themselves are not playing like a primary role if like you're deferring to your your veterans like here you're just along for the ride you're not the ones you know actually getting on the ice like that that i i kind of didn't understand um but like, i don't want to belabor the point yeah but i i think like I think you could sum it up by saying this. Would would the Rangers be worse off if they lost 10 of these games that they won? And, you know, like, so they have, or like, let's say five to seven games. So they're down to like 48, 45 points in the standings, which would put them in sixth place instead of fifth place right now. Like, what would be different? Like, the the losses that they'd accrue by letting the kids kind of make mistakes and develop from them. What would be different? They they'd be picking higher in the first round. Like, I understand the whole argument of meaningful games and all that, but like, you can still play meaningful games and succeed with the kids, and you can still develop them by like taking away ice time. But the next game, you put them in a position where you say, "All right, like get back out there and and get back into the mix and 
I don't know. Like I, I would imagine there's something to be said about like young guys who have a ton of skill on the puck, like a Lafreniere or Heedle, that I would want them on the power play to develop those offensive skills and to gain that confidence to produce that even strength. Like I'd want them to see ice time with Panarin and Fox in the power play. Wouldn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, this goes back to, and I don't, I don't know if we mentioned it because um, I, I don't remember when the story was ran, but like the the story Shana wrote at The Athletic where she's talking about, you know, prospect development and it not always being linear. And, you know, she quotes, you know, Rice, Rice Jessup, um, you know, who was, who um, you know, you know, a... Uh, what was he? Uh, I think he worked for the Panthers um, and how he's sort of talking about how so many players are um, there. The focus is defense first and it's about playing this responsible game in your own end, often at times uh, in place of developing offensive skills or, you know, maturing offensive skills and how it, it does a disservice to prospects and how, um, how many Rangers players have we seen that they had clear offensive talent at other levels. They come here and it's defense, 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 instead of, you know, um, letting them develop and use the skills, which, ended up being the reason why the Rangers drafted them in the first place. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I don't know. There's something to be said about the way you deploy youngsters when your whole MO is that you're a coach that succeeds in developing young players. I was just expecting maybe a little, a little something different out of Quinn. Like I would understand just like from the meta perspective you're a first year NHL coach, you're going to lean on your veterans, right? Like, I I don't blame you because at the end of the day, David's Quinn number one job isn't technically developing prospects. David Quinn's number one job is keeping his job um, and winning hockey games comes after that. And then I think being credited as developing prospects would be somewhere on that list. But at the end of the day, David Quinn's trying to win hockey games, keep his job uh, and do the things that demonstrates that he should be you know, being paid whatever the hell he's being paid to do what he does. So I don't blame him for the approach he's taken. I just think it's probably not in the Rangers' best interest to continue with them just based on what we've seen and based on like the inescapable fact that this team, given everything we know about like the flat cap and how even without the flat cap, like Everything we know about how championship teams are built in hockey, you really develop from within. You develop your own prospects. You find those complementary players to fill those holes in free agency and through trade when you can trade from positions of strength to address positions of weakness. And then you build a championship team that way. And I think, uh, you know, right now we've got a good sense of what David Quinn can bring and it might not be a bad time for a change because I look at, What's happened, it's not often you get into the second overall and first overall pick in back-to-back years. I just wish I just wish we got a little bit more from Quinn in terms of what he gave us out of these young guys. But again, I'm not an expert. I just try to write about hockey. Last thing that I would say is that you do get in that situation where you are gifted to um, tremendously talented players. You have a lot of good players on this team that's been from um draft and, and development you have you know guys that you were able to to acquire um you know through trades and free agency so you have a lot of of good things going and this summer they're going to have a decent amount of cap space and it's going to come at a time where um they're going to need to make some long-term decisions because next year will be Zibanejad's last under contract it'll be Strom's last under contract they need to decide um, are they going to uh, extend Buchnevich long term, or are they going to, you know, do the one year to UFA route? Um, and we know that the team wants to make changes. We obviously we've, we've talked about the Jack Eichel stuff. Um, if it's not Jack Eichel, it's going to be someone else. We we've talked that you have the Seattle expansion draft. There's going to be all of this, all of these things going on, and all of these ways to improve. And you have to say to yourself, 
if you're going to do all of this uh, turnover or you're going to do all of this upgrading and, and massaging your roster, how you want to get it to a point where it's like, we feel confident that we'll make the playoffs. And if we make the playoffs, um, we, we feel that we're in a spot that we can, we can catch fire um, and, and make a run. You need to ask yourself is with the talent we have, with the talent we're looking to add, is David Quinn the best fit for that? Um, and I think there's reasons to say that he's not. And again, like you can say that Quinn was hired for a specific reason and he's had some benefits, but like I've maintained all along, I feel that the Rangers have moved faster than they thought they would. And they're in a position where with a couple of tweaks and a couple of additions, they can be a pretty dangerous team. And I don't know if stylistically, tactically, he's the best guy to execute that vision. And it's like not just us saying this. I feel like if you go back to when he was hired, I feel like if you ask people, um, you know, who cover the sport around the league, like I, I know going back, like 31 Thoughts talked about it. Like I know going back, you know, Puck Soup talked about it. Like I know um, one of the other athletic um, podcasts, I think it was um, Sean McIndoe and, and Ian Mendez, you know, talking about David Quinn and like how, you know, he was hired for a certain reason and, um you know, there was never a guarantee of when the Rangers eventually turned the corner if he would be the guy. Um, I'd argue that the Rangers are on the precipice of turning the corner. And, you know, maybe they're waiting. Like, I I know that uh, it's been reported that um, you know, Rod Brindamore is eventually going to get a deal one with the, with the Hurricanes. You know, he's uh, a coach in this league that a lot of uh, people are pretty high on, uh, you know, players of playing for him. Um, like, I don't know if, if that's like a situation that like the Rangers are secretly monitoring, like, you know, if he became available or, or, or whatnot. But the fact remains that you it doesn't have to be, you know, oh, Quinn did a completely terrible job or, oh, Quinn did a really good job. You can't fire him. I think you can say he's had some positives, he's had some negatives. The team has progressed to a certain level, and you run the risk of going another year with him. And the example that like I've used before, and I tweeted out a poll about it, um, the Rangers unfortunately extended Elaine Vigneault before they went to the playoffs, and they uh, lost to the Ottawa Senators after almost losing to the Montreal Canadiens. Obviously, the next season... They have a bad year. They released the letter. AV is gone despite just signing that extension. Um, if he doesn't sign that extension, I think if you're the Rangers, you fire him um, before the final year of his deal and you just, you know, eat that one year. Next year would be Quinn's um, fourth year. And while I understand, you know, uh, things are, are what they are in this league, the Rangers are one of, if not the uh, the richest team uh, in the NHL. And, you know, I think they can afford to uh, not have uh, Quinn coaching for them, but still paying him if, if they see an opportunity to hire someone else out there. Um, so it, it's something definitely that they, they should consider. So I don't know how else I can really say it. Like, I feel like we are, you know like saying the same thing multiple ways, but like it's a thing that it's obviously people get really worked up about it. Cause if you talk about firing David Quinn, it's like, Oh, who are you going to replace him with? Or, Oh, you know, uh, is someone so really a, a better fit? And, you know, does he deserve more time and yada, 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 yada. I wouldn't be surprised either way. If I think, I think it's more likely the Rangers stick with them. Um, just because I, I get the feeling that, they're going to look at how close they came to the playoffs this year and they're going to be, you know, all things considered, I think he's done enough to kind of keep his job, but I don't think he's done enough to like, to really earn consideration for a contract extension or anything like that at this stage, just because it's not easy to stay a head coach in this league. And I think there's extra scrutiny here because of, 
Like the Rangers, Rangers set a big precedent with the letter to the fans and the rebuild announcing everything. You know, it's not, it was really out of character for the Rangers to take the path they took. And this was the sort of thing we've been hoping they would do forever is this suck it up, say you're not good enough, take it all apart. And knowing that, even knowing that some of the trades won't work out, a lot of the prospects won't work out, you know, all these things considered, this is the right way to go because what happens, you can end up, like, in a lot of ways, the Rangers have gotten a lot of lucky breaks here in terms of this rebuild. Like, a lot of things have gone so much better than they could have or, or arguably should have with, you know, Fox and first pick overall, second pick overall, Kravstov, where they got him at the time, it was like, ooh, left a couple of interesting prospects on the board, but Kravstov looks really fun. And you look at what Nils Lundqvist can be, you look at what all these young guys can be, you can't help but get excited. But a lot of it, it, it won't matter if you don't have the right guy at the helm of the ship. And I, I, I'd be surprised if there wasn't some conversation about what Quinn has done with some of these young players, because a big thing I know the organization cares about is these relationships they have with these young guys and being, you know, supportive of them. I think that probably got more intense after the bad press and the bad look of how things went with, with Leah Sanderson in New York. And I think I would not be surprised if the organization doubled down. I haven't heard anything about, about all this, just to be clear, um, just not to cause any speculation, but I want I would like to imagine they've gotten more serious about paying attention to how these kids develop. And this year is exceptionally hard because there are some success stories in Hartford and we're getting to see them on the ice now with Morgan Barron and Tarmo. But this year was just so bizarre for the AHL. These past two years have been so bizarre for development and you have to make all these things part of the conversation. And that's why I think when push comes to the show, when push comes to shove, they'll likely cut Quinn some slack just because this is just unprecedented nonsense for what what it's been like to be a professional in hockey over the past two years now. And when you think of like a guy who his job is to develop young players while all this is going on, it's pretty goddamn tough. And you have to admit, like, you know, I, I definitely have to give Quinn credit for that. Like the progress he has made in these wacky times is noteworthy. But I also think there's been enough things where I'm like, I just don't like this. I don't like that. You know, the list of things I don't like is pretty long considering how short he's been here. Right. And I, I think it goes without saying, like, you know, we, we've said it before. And, you know, again, like, you know, someone might be listening, you know, to this podcast for the first time. But, like, obviously you consider the fact of, you know, COVID and it's limited to interdivision play and everything that's gone on. And it's, it's a tough year to evaluate and, you know, even, you know, Quinn himself, you know, was out, you know, with COVID. So, you know, obviously that was another thing to, to overcome. Um, but like on the other side of the coin, you could also say that this year also provided an opportunity to show teams, um, you know, who they truly are, you know, playing against their divisional rivals and not, you know, playing some of, you know, uh, the softer teams in the league in terms of like over the course of an 82 game season, you're going to have like opportunities where you can just feast on some weak opponents um, and sort of smooth things over um, where this year, the Rangers division, like in any other division, they would make the playoffs. Um, they were in a pretty strong division, you know, all things considered. And you look at like Igor's numbers and how strong they were, um, you know, despite, you know, the, the talent in, in, in the division. So while, yeah, you could say it's a weird year, you did learn some valuable lessons um, against some tough teams in, in the division and, you know, teams that you're going to primarily play um, going forward, you know, in, in a regular year. Um, and if I were to sum it up, you know, just the, the easiest way I can say it is that they're obviously going to evaluate a lot of things and it's looking for the best possible fit based on who's on the roster and what the objective is. And I, I think we can say that, you know, next year the objective is going to shift in making the playoffs and, and doing things that, um, 
you know, closer to a contender. And if, you know, theoretically that, you know, the Rangers are, you know, even better next year, maybe they're at a time where, okay, we're going to make some moves at the deadline. We're going to start dipping into our, you know, uh, or excess of, of resources. So, um, We'll obviously learn a lot, you know, these last few games, um, you know, like we said, um, we're recording this before the game versus Washington. They'll play Washington twice. They will play uh, the Bruins twice. Um, and then that'll all she wrote on uh, on the season. Um, next week, we'll certainly um, have a bit of, you know, like, uh, you know, a postmortem of the season. Um the idea, I think, is also to have uh, the ability for people to ask questions. Um, so certainly look out for that. Um, as always, we we certainly appreciate um, all of our listeners. Um, we're very, you know, thankful for our, our Patreon supporters as well, um, like Adam Clendenning, Adam Nahoek, Ian Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chicagoff, Andy White, Bjarn Osterheim, Captain America. Chris Marco Trigiano, Daniel Gizen, Doris Romero Park, Frank Menino, Jamie Bussell, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Offman, Panarin 2020, Patrick Landolt, Perennial Powerhouse, Sean, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Tour from Manhattan, Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you as always for your support. Um, Mike, I appreciate you. Uh, and uh, yeah, I will uh, talk to you uh, again soon. Be well. Yeah, everyone. this is a good show. Only a couple games left. Hope everyone enjoys as things wind down and look forward to the next chapter of Rangers hockey. As soon as this season's over, the next one begins. That's just how it goes. And we'll have expansion to talk about, all sorts of things to talk about. So um, yeah, that's about it. Have a good one, folks.